Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. Yes. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. How are you? Okay. Recovering. Recovering. From what? I don't know. Some kind of little thing in my head. Oh, because you won't say you were sick. I might have had a cold. <laughs> it ran right through me, though. Nick definitely wouldn't say if the zombie bit him. 100% you would. You're trying to color me like that kind of white person and I when it's that serious, yes, I would I would of course. Well, we have no evidence to support that, but well, I wasn't flinging myself out in public this weekend. True. Oh, has the cat awakened? I, just, I can hear her. It, yeah, she, the the <laughs> awake awake the kraken and the click clacking of her nails. Oh. Which what? is at least we have uh rugs because <laughs> we brought oh, her gosh. we brought her along to palm springs for a family vacation and those well i wouldn't call them a hardwood but uh the floor <laughs> we were in this big house and the all of the flooring was you know either hardwood or a replica of hardwood i think that was a replica but there were no rugs so just all day all night you hear the cat click clacking about <laughs> It was driving me insane. I know it was, because especially because your mother was giving the cat. Oh, she was giving the cat like these hair, hair ties to play with. So then the cat was just like, it was making this sound like, how would you describe it? It sounded like the cat was playing roller derby in the living room. Oh, it was so annoying. But anyway, moving on, uh, I received a couple of messages or like memes of Justin Timberlake. Apparently he, oh God. She's looking right at me and screaming. Yes, Ju your what friend could, Justin. What could she possibly need? Um, so Justin Timberlake uh, was part of a video honoring Taylor Swift for some award or something like that, but people are making fun of his appearance. So then I received images of him from this um, video, pre-recorded video he made for Taylor Swift. He does look crazy, uh, but I don't think, as much as I don't like Justin Timberlake, uh, for you know specific reasons, I don't think his appearance would be one of them. Like, uh, I mean, honestly, he he's like what forty two years old. He's getting older. He's a a dad. Like, he just looks like someone who's probably a little stressed out, bloated, and I don't know that he ever had the best features to begin with. This is why, like, coveting people with nice bodies and like they're young. You got to be able to look into the future and see that this person does not have the bone structure to support graceful aging. <laughs> Justin Timberlake was a cute guy when he was younger, but he was also like very fit and he's also very generic looking. I don't, I don't think he was generic looking at really? all. Really? Oh, I thought he looked like a lot of people. Oh, I, I thought he looked different because he had that top ramen hair. And yeah, but the, the, and the, the style. Hair, his face was not striking to but me. But either way, I mean, I think it's shitty to make fun of someone for how they look like solely for for that reason i don't care for him for other reasons that have nothing to do with how he looks i'm also not surprised that he's aged this way but he also looks like he's kind of puffy like maybe he's sick wait so so then y'all gonna feel bad if he ends up like chadwick boseman how people were like making fun of him towards the end of his life because he didn't tell anyone he had cancer they, people were making fun of him oh yeah like he looks like like he must be a crackhead like he must be on drugs wow. and, right and then you find out that he was actually like fighting for his life 
you know, maybe Justin Timberlake's also not doing Yeah, well. but he hasn't been out of the public eye for a significant period of time, has he? No, but I get, I'm just bringing it up because I'm not. Because wasn't all the, the, the Janet and Britney apology wasn't that long ago? What do you yeah. look like then? I'm just saying that I'm not. I, I, I don't want people to think that I'm just like an asshole and would think that that kind of stuff is funny just because. Oh, sure. <laughs> I don't care for Justin Timberlake, but what I'm not going to make uh, fun of how he's aged. Schadenfraud or whatever. Moving on, do you know who Benzino is? I can't imagine you do. I don't think so, but that sounds like what you take. It sounds like Bino, but or or uh, yeah, to benzodiazepines relieve, yeah, to, relieve, um, to relieve your gas. Well, he, it, that would be an appropriate uh, reference for him. He's a rapper producer. I know him from. There used to be a hip hop magazine called The Source. I don't uh -huh. know if it still exists, but they were known for giving like um they would they would do album reviews and it would be like out of five mics so yeah. that was always a reference like like they gave little kim's fourth album i believe five mics <laughs> I, I still can't get over that but anyway he so for people my age they probably know him from the source but for younger people he was on love and hip-hop atlanta i believe anyway i'm going to show you a picture of him because it's important i think oh boy can you see this? Uh-huh. I think I know who that bitch is. He's 57 right now. He looks crazy as hell. Yeah. He looks like he has that um he has that condition where people develop fat in areas they're not supposed to. Well, the lower mandible is interesting. Anyway, that's what he looks like. Okay. So he has been trending because well, it started last year. Um a, a trans woman, a very beautiful trans woman had um shared that he tried to like push up on her okay and of course all these men out here afraid to be like identified as like having found a trans woman attractive which i mean i could go on and on about how ridiculous that is but um anyway he recently went on this rampage talking about how like he's tired of gay people like hitting him up on social media and flirting with him and that it needs to stop okay and i just think it's funny um i'm gonna read one little caption he wrote attention to all in the lgbtq abcd oh. i respect y'all's movement and your decision to be who you want to be except stop, not really but stop the weird shit with the comments and flirting i'm not fucking flattered because i'm not gay respect that shit as i respect who you are and it's like first of all you don't respect well right queer and trans people um also like <laughs> Not that people need to be flattered when anyone shows them sort of like a, like a sense that they're attracted to them because that could also be harassment. But it's also like you just sound really insecure in connection to um, your sexuality for sure. Because someone recently said a trans woman said that you were like trying to hit her up. So this just seems really defensive and you look like a clown. Yeah. Literally and figuratively. He's also a 57-year-old man. Uh -huh. Like, I mean, this just seems ridiculous. Still dressing like 2000 and acting like anyone would give a shit if this person who hasn't been relevant in a while found a woman who objectively is stunning uh -huh. and happens to be trans like found her attractive mm -hmm. like what are you scared of 
Well, any person who finds beautiful women attractive would look at her and think, oh, she's beautiful. Right. And then it it it's all secondary, like this how this person identifies and blah blah blah. But it's just like, wow, you just sound really insecure. Well, he just sounds like a big fool. But uh, no matter what age he is, okay. But um, we received so many comments to talk about the television series Swarm. So we still have a secret movie today, but I'm titling this episode Swarm because more people will click on it probably. <laughs> and also because people keep asking, I can easily direct them to the episode titled Swarm. Okay. But um, so why don't we start with, uh, well, so you were given access to the series back in February, I think. Uh-huh. And I was interested. However, you were given explicit instructions to not spoil it. And specifically, you couldn't use the word serial killer. Yeah, it was weird. We got uh, from Amazon. There were notes about trying to direct the course of the review content, which I found strange. So that wasn't going to work for me because I don't know how I could talk about anything, especially as something like this series and not mention what it's about. Um, This bitch is a serial killer. (laughs) And then it would have been especially difficult because now having watched all seven episodes, I didn't love it. I think it's okay. I didn't love it either. I think that there's some problems with maybe organization, but conception. But I did really like Dominique Fishback. I think her performance is pretty damn good. And I was really with it for the at least the first three episodes. Okay. Well, so, yeah. So the positives are, I think, Dominique Fishback, who's, you know, pretty green as an actor. Is this her debut role? No, we've seen her in several things. Oh, we have? Yes, we were. I know for sure we reviewed her in Project Power. She plays Jamie Foxx's kid, right? Oh, for some reason I was thinking this was like her debut role. Oh, no, no. She's been around. Well, either way, I think the highlight of the series is her. She really is um, so fun to watch. And the transition of her character, especially the final episode, it's pretty impressive. I think the premise is really interesting i'm just going to read the synopsis the series tells the story of dre a young woman who is obsessed with a pop star whose oeuvre and aesthetic are very similar to that of american singer beyonce with a fan base known as the swarm similar to beyonce's fan base known as the beehive the show is a deep dark dive into dre's life her fandom and how it takes her to dark unexpected places so the Beyonce-like character in the series is called Nyjah. Mm-hmm. And really, this is about, like, toxic fandom. And we focus on one person, Dre, played by Dominique Fishback, who goes on a killing spree basically towards anyone who doesn't like Nyjah. Uh-huh. And it all culminates with her getting arrested after she bum rushes the stage at a Nyja performance. So the basic plot for seven episodes is very simple. Nyja has a best friend named Marissa, who's played by Chloe Bailey. Mm -hmm. And they're the best of friends. They have a history that we don't learn about until I believe episode six. But um, Nyja has a boyfriend. I'm sorry. Marissa has a boyfriend who Dre, they have a weird relationship. And this is all in the pilot episode. And the boyfriend tries to hit on Dre. So then Dre tries to tell Nyjah, like, you know, 
you shouldn't be with him. And also, I bought you Nyjah tickets for your birthday. And Marissa's like, girl, first of all, you can't even pay rent. And you just spent thousands of dollars on tickets. Also, like, you're such a hater. Like, every boyfriend I've had, you don't like him. And I can't go to the Nyjah concert because my boyfriend got me, like, a trip to Atlanta or something. I don't know. Not yeah, Maybe yeah. Atlanta. So, of course, Dre freaks out. And she goes on a, like, she goes out that night to party. Like, she gets all dolled up and goes to a club and meets Rory Culkin. <laughs> and while she's out, because she has a one-night stand with Rory Culkin, she misses, like, a million texts and phone calls from her best friend, Marissa. And we find out that her boyfriend dumped her, or that he cheated on her. So now she's heartbroken. And then she commits suicide. And that's what sets off yeah dre so that's the first episode so then we see dre basically like first the first person she kills is the boyfriend and then she goes on this killing spree basically like anyone who posts negative shit about nyjah on social media she's killing them and it's all building up to her going to nyjah performing at like coachella well the first person she kind of stakes out when she's the stripper also had tweeted something about Marissa suicide. I think that's right. She kills. Yeah. Someone speaks ill of her dead best friend, but she, she does get to the Coachella type thing, but then she is sort of befriended by a, like a cult led a cult by Billie these, Eilish. These white lesbians. It was very strange. Um, we, we can get into it more, but which I don't, I didn't mind. I didn't mind. I, I think this, series doing way too much but um she's distracted by the cult and misses the show so then she moves on she ends up getting a girlfriend who's like a grad student played by Kiersey Clement and at that point Dre has sort of transitioned to someone named Tony mm -hmm. who I would assume is like supposed to be trans maybe she changes her look and she like drastically to appear like a guy yeah and once again this fool buys two tickets to a niger concert and her girlfriend is like bitch you can't even pay rent her girlfriend you... who does not like niger and also hates niger so dre now as tony kills her girlfriend goes to the niger concert and then while she's there she's because she because she she loses the tickets because she had given the tickets to her girlfriend and the girlfriend put them in her pocket and then Dre slash Tony kills her and lights her on fire. Mm -hmm. And while the body's burning, she realizes, oh shit, the concert tickets are in her pocket. So Dre slash Tony goes to the concert and kills a scalper mm -hmm. to get tickets. And while she's there, she's like front row, runs up on the stage, gets arrested, the end. But of the seven episodes, episode number six is a documentary about Dre. And that's when we learned that the entire series we were watching was a dramatization. The, the, these aren't the real people. Mm -hmm. And in the documentary, they make it seem like it's not Nyjah, it's Beyonce. Mm -hmm. So it's supposed to be Beyonce, mm -hmm. who, who this person was killing people over. And then we also learned that Dre was adopted or a foster kid mm -hmm. in the family where Marissa, like her, her family, but that Dre had serious like behavioral issues 
And so she was given back to the foster care system. But then her and her foster sister, I guess, re all, always were very close and ended up like living together anyway. But that's it. Um, so there are some really cool cameos. We mentioned Chloe Bailey, Rory Culkin, Billie Eilish. Um, Paris Jackson is in it. Mm-hmm. And that episode took me out because her character is supposed to be a quarter black. Yeah. Her character's name is Halsey. Mm-hmm. And because apparently Halsey is half black. But I was laughing so hard thinking that um, Paris Jackson is claiming that she's a quarter black and they don't believe her. But it's like, because, you know, she your wanted- dad's supposed to be black. And we all know that Michael Jackson not her, was not the sperm donor. <laughs> right. Yes. and But one of those girls that has to keep talking about it. Yeah. And how her... Well, I clocked that right away looking at her hairline because she's trying to do the, the baby. I'm like, why is she doing that? Yeah, you were like, why does her hair, hair look like that? I'm like, oh, her baby hairs? And then we find out, oh, because she's supposed to be part yeah. black. Um, but also there's Leon Robinson, mm-hmm. who we know from several many things. The boyfriend, uh, Merce's boyfriend is played by Damson Idris, who uh, we saw in that Anthony Mackie film, Outside the Wire. And then Cree Summers in it, who we all know from A Million Voiceovers and A Different World. So the cast is impressive. Also, this show got attention because Malia Obama um, is one of the writers. Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, Caitlin Scheel is one of the white uh, Libesians. Okay, what didn't I like about this it feels like it's doing way too much because I feel like I didn't know Dre. Yes, since we never, we, we kind of don't get to see her outside of this already terrible situation she's kind of in. She seems Looney Tunes the minute we meet her. Yeah, so there's no arc. It's just like, oh, she's just really obsessed with Nyjah. A point that you bring, the, the scene with Kiersey, where she's, killing Kiersey Clemens. She's strangling her, the girlfriend at the end. Who oh, like yes, Nyjah. yes. Like, that is the moment where we should feel kind of like episode six of Dahmer. Yes, that's exactly how I felt. Like, so in the Dahmer series with the gentleman named Tony who was deaf, Right. that episode was so heartbreaking because we all know that this character, Jeffrey Dahmer, in the series is a serial killer. So we're not sort of thinking that he's going to turn around. But I think the love that he may have had for Tony felt real. And the se- and that episode took us to a place where we almost thought that... This guy could get away. That, uh, Yeah, the, 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 that he would let this guy get away, and he doesn't. And it was so heartbreaking. And in this... Because it, it, it really... That episode of Dahmer, for instance, really delves into that sense of... Taps into us realizing and feeling that a sense of need has been met. Yes. And may and you all know that when a sense of need has been met for us, for every human, you know, that kind of can stop bad things from happening potentially. And you know, it this felt like because it seemed like there would be no there's no resolution, there will be no satisfaction for Dre's character. Nothing will happen that will make her satisfied. Like she's even if she meets Nyjah, it's not gonna be what she needs it to be. Because in her mind, Nyjah is like her soulmate. So then because she's just every episode killing fools it kind of just felt like a creature feature Mm -hmm. like this thing mindlessly killing things which we all like i mean but sure but it's interesting to note donald glover gave dominique fishback he asked her to watch the piano teacher which is one of my favorite films of all time why do you think he used that as a reference 
Well, I think to watch somebody like Isabelle Huppert in that film, it that you know that film is about a woman who is completely disassociated from her own sexuality, right? And has this extremely toxic relationship with her mother and kind of this dying culture around her that has that has rendered her invisible, right? So I, I think that there are some elements of that in the Fishback performance. And I like that that is what they were thinking uh, when they were putting this together. But I, I don't think it comes together quite as well as Hanukkah's film. Um, that In fact, there's another French film that's really reminded me of, I think it's Emmanuel Berko's debut called Backstage, with uh, starring Roman Polanski's wife, Emmanuel Seigneur, as the singer that I think it's Asile Lebesco is a, my wedding's sister, I believe, is obsessed with and is following this pop star around. And I think cohesively as a film that worked a lot better for me than what this is doing. But mm. I, I think the novelty of it clearly being about Beyonce is really what is interesting. Yeah. And I think the, you know, the time frame of when she starts her killings, there's a frenzy to it that I don't think is as well displayed as something like the assassination of Gianni Versace where we see Andrew Cunan and like it just felt like a frenzy like this is going to implode and it culminates with him um uh, boarding up in that abandoned mm -hmm. beach house or whatever this film didn't or this series I feel like didn't have that and I think episode six is such an interruption it's interesting though and at least for the first 20 minutes of that oh I, I like this I like um well, the kid, the uh, detective Heather Loretta Sims. Green, I thought was initially. I'm like, oh my god, why is there not a TV show about a black female detective who's kind of, I mean, not like a caricature, but kind of just like she said something that really resonated with me that you don't often see in like um, these true crime type series where she said, oh, I, I, I like like I went to the crime scene and I knew it was a white family, but then there were things in the house that felt like this has to be a black person because mm -hmm. there's like shea butter and hot cheetos and of course some of it is meant to be kind of stereotypical but i thought this would make a brilliant series to see how a black woman from a you know a certain experience would approach different crimes so yeah i agree the first 20 minutes of the episode i was very intrigued but then it became kind of silly it, and then healthy. we get a moment where she the detective talks to dre's social worker and then I was like, this is ridiculous. Right. <laughs> but there, there's no way that woman, it, if, if she would have agreed to get on camera, wouldn't have said as much as she said. There are some really good ideas. Like the whole Billie Eilish lesbian cult thing was super interesting. But to me, that felt like, I mean, you know what that, Nine Perfect Strangers should have felt like that. Yeah. Where you have all these people and then secrets are revealed that are actually like, whoa, like, this is not even your name and like you're admitting to hurting people because she talks about spilling the milk and then we learn episodes later that that meant like she spilled blood like she stabbed someone very creepy yeah uh so so that worked but then it just seems like gosh there is so you have this serial killer who just so happens to come across like this cult and then she kills all of them then she comes across she works as a stripper for a while to make money well not all of them but and then she uh, goes, they all go home with some guy. And then Dre tries to kill the guy because she she targeted him because he doesn't like Nyjah. But 
he gets the upper hand on her. So this guy is strangling Dre and the other four women walk in and think that he attacked her. So they kill him. Mm-hmm. And now these women are in jail for murder because Nyjah got, or Dre got away. And again, kind of interesting, but then it just, so many things felt so unbelievable. Like no one can find her. I mean, it's 20, well, 18. No one, was, <laughs> no one was looking for her. I think. Yeah, but we're told that those girls ratted her out. Like there was a fifth girl and she ran off and she used to work at the strip club. Oh, we call the strip club. They don't have proper documentation, so they don't know her real name. It just, it feels more chaotic than um, stress. Like there, there, there was no tension for me. It just, every right. episode was like, okay, who's she going to kill because they don't like Nyjah? <laughs> right. I, I think it, and that's where the conception fails itself, I think. Mm. Um Lastly, well, what would you give the series overall? Uh, Fishback's performance is like a four, but I think the series, by the time I got to the end, was a 2.5. Yeah, I would give it two and a half out of five. I would recommend it. And I like the Bailey sisters, so it is nice to see Chloe. Oh, for sure. Um, and I think her relationship with Mar- uh, with the Dre is really sweet. Mm-hmm. And then we see that Marissa had attempted suicide, it appears. Like she had tried to slit her wrist. And there's a sweet moment between the two of them about it. So that was lovely. I it was also brought to my attention that there's some people feel up. I, I actually was trying to do research, and here's like one headline. Swarm isn't a love letter to black women, it's hate mail. So um and then the subtitle is if Donald Glover wants to prove he respects black women, Swarm isn't it. So I don't know much about Donald Glover. I did like his first childish Gambino mm-hmm. album, but apparently he's known for people question his respect for black women because they cite his dating history, his lyrical content. I've never seen the show Atlanta, but apparently Atlanta's applauded for like sort of a more sensitive tender approach to black male characters okay but then the black female characters are caricatures so and then his dating history of like not not really being seen with black women which that's what i read i don't know but i think there's a sense that he doesn't respect black women and then now he's the creator of a show about a black female serial killer who's sort of mindlessly killing fools um i can see how people would find him problematic i suppose is the word i don't know i i think we black people should be allowed to be villains black women should be allowed to be villains uh gay people with like lydia tar should be allowed to be a villain i mean we need to take a step back from i i think that angle well i agree with what you're saying and i and i yeah what i agree with what you're saying i wonder though like what if donald glover does sort of have this history with negative depictions of black women which might be out of a lack of respect it if that were true should someone like him like then it feels kind of icky that oh and then you made a a series about a black female yeah but serial he didn't direct all these episodes we no but Adama he, Ibo in there you know no he didn't i i'm just saying that i think if there are black women who feel this way about donald glover and then they watch this series I would understand how they could feel sure. away. But but again, I think that's kind of a separate issue too. And it, I think it, it is also separate from like, yeah, we should be able to see black female serial killers and, and gay villains. And well, because that's the whole point of the, the female detective, the black female detective as well is in I'm picking up on clues that the rest of y'all can't see because you're not even, you see us as invisible anyway. Right. But I'm talking more like how 
how we reviewed Foxy Brown and it's like these black exploitation films kind of sting because of who created them. It, it, it wasn't black people creating these stories and using language and storylines that made sense to them. It was white filmmakers and white writers just exploiting black culture. That doesn't apply to Donald Glover because he's black. But again, if he does have this history that would demonstrate a lack of respect for black women, then yeah, I would feel a way too about this show. But but I don't know that. I'm, I'm just sharing that because it was brought to my attention that I read articles about that. So I, I could see how people feel that way. Sure, but well, you know, that I'm as a, a white gear person watching Dominique Fishback in this, I don't see her as supposedly representative of uh, an entire people for no, sure. No, no, you don't. But again, no, like, what if the person who created it really doesn't respect? I mean, what if a homophobe made, you know, what's that movie we wa- swallowed or I watched it, you didn't watch it? That would feel icky to me like but that would come across obviously another way that that disrespect i don't think i thought that watching this but uh, it, but again i haven't watched atlanta so i can't say that the claims about that show are but, accurate but uh, i don't know does that mean like where do where do what's the logical end of that argument cancel him uh it's like uh august strindberg was a notorious misogynist and his plays are still put on through today like he's considered one of the best playwrights ever so sure the art is out there people can enjoy it i'm not saying people can't enjoy your the example you cited i just it's just some i'm just trying to acknowledge that if that's a feeling people have i could see how it makes sense but i don't know that like i so i i my perspective of this series is void of that thought but we need to take a break when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, but overall, I think seeing more stories with black characters showing black bodies and black culture, just anything black, more of it is what I would want to see. So, well, because you know, we're also looking at somebody that has you know extreme psychological issues and was you know also abandoned by her community. You know, there there are lots of complexities. You're talking about Dre. About Dre, her character. That's also what I would have wanted to see. I I feel like this could have been more dark in a way where we fully examine this woman's mental health. It's very superficial. It's just like I'm a a super stan. Because we we understand that she and Marissa started like a a Nyjah fan club Twitter account. Mm -hmm. And then, and Dre is still like using it. And then Marissa says, like, you know, that's not real. Like, these people don't care about you. They're just obsessed with Nyjah. And it's like, I mean, this entire series is based off of toxic fandom. And I feel like we really don't get into the weeds of why someone like Dre would latch on to a Nyjah. We do hear her, like Marissa, in one of her text messages before she kills herself, says, I just heard the new Nyjah album. Because the new Nyjah album drops not unlike when Beyonce dropped her last album, Unexpectedly. And, Mar- and Marissa says, I, f- I, I feel like she's writing these lyrics to me. 
I feel like I needed more of that. Like I, I almost wanted to have like a psychedelic feel like we're inside the mind of someone who feels lonely and obsessed. And I, I agree. It is a bit superficial, but that, that headline that you read, I think is, is now lodged in my mind and bothering me because it also discounts that this Glover co-created this with a black woman named Janine neighbors. Who's a, also a writer producer on Atlanta. So it's like, <sighs> well, I don't know that having, you know, him having a black woman co-signing on his stuff doesn't uh, relinquish him from any sort of wrongdoing, you know? No, but I mean, I, again, may, maybe I just am more, you know, death of the artist oriented. It's like, it, it's, it's out of the artist's hands how all of this is going to be interpreted by the culture at large. But if we're going to keep going back to the source and have to have a character portrait uh, drawn up of every director, writer, producer... Uh, in, in order to determine whether or not we should like something or appreciate something, then we do need to take into consideration. It's not that he has a hall pass because a black woman co-wrote it, but her voice is, a, is of equal merit if she has equal say in the creation of the series. I agree. That, so I'm not questioning the series and the story of the series. Like, that's not what I'm questioning. I'm saying, what if we find out, what if Donald Glover a year from now is on some Britney Spears craziness and, and says, yeah, I don't date black women because they're crazy and blah, blah, blah. Like, what if he says something like that? And we find out like, oh shit, he really is like, he doesn't respect black women. Then wouldn't it feel icky that he created a show about a black female serial killer who's crazy? That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that the people involved should have done better. I, I, I think the people who are involved in the show crafted something really interesting mm -hmm. that, I would like to see more of. So overall, I think it's positive. I just felt like after watching the seven episodes back to back, it did feel a little tedious and shallow. It did. And kind of all over the place. But I appreciated the story. And again, that could be applied to a lot of people. But I agree with you. Like, we can't just, like, erase their art. If, if there's value to it, and then all the work that the other people put into it should still be valued. So I'm not that black and white. Like... But I'm only bringing it up because I didn't know that that was a thing that people felt either. because right. I don't watch Atlanta yet. So I was surprised just based off of his music, which, you know, I couldn't recite any of his lyrics. So I don't know what lyrical content people are referencing, but I assumed that he was pretty, um, I'm, I'm surprised to hear this about Donald Glover. I am too, but I, I think, I don't know, with, without having done my due diligence and researching, it's also really easy to cast aspersions on someone's character. And like, if you talk about somebody's dating record, that's very unfair to hold against somebody. I, I, I don't know. I agree. People make nasty comments about me when I say things about whiteness and then uh -huh. it's like, well, and you're married to a white person and he looks like a fool and you look stupid. And it's like, so I'm, I can relate to that. Of You know, so, and I don't want to, I don't know anything about Donald Glover and if these claims are true and i do agree like just citing the fact that he's never dated a black woman doesn't mean that he doesn't respect black women i don't know that he hasn't um and he's married right now to a non-black lady i don't know how long they've been together he's not that old so i don't know how much experience <laughs> you know he's right, had. right. but anyway uh, his mother was a black woman right well <laughs> so i don't know like <laughs> I mean, Donald Trump has a mama and he doesn't respect women, but um, 
that's true no i i agree with you about about like artistic value and i watching swarm blank like not knowing i didn't know about anything except that you had been told you can't use the word serial killer so then i knew oh it must be about a serial killer yeah yeah, that (laughs) that was it i found it to be a very interesting um basic premise that just i think needed to be refined i wanted it to go harder i want it to be a bit darker but we can move on uh films released we didn't cover spinning gold uh yeah god there was a ton of bullshit that came out uh march 31st wasn't there (laughs) because i think we had six things drop and they're still double that uh yeah we had six reviews last week spinning gold directed directed by timothy scott bogart which is about his dad neil bogart the co-founder of casablanca records Uh oh wait not related to humphrey bogart no but isn't humphrey bogart in casablanca yeah Oh, what I, a, I don't believe they're descendants. What of an Humphrey. interesting connection that they call their record label Casablanca. Um, and their last name's Bogart. And yeah, their last name's Bogart. I, I, in the little that I looked up about these people, I didn't see any relationship to Humphrey. Next, Acid Man, uh, directed by Alex Lehman, who I, I have seen one of Alex Lehman's films, Blue Jay, from several years ago. Um, but this new one stars Diana Agron and Thomas Hayden Church, uh, and I'm not sure what it's about really in viaggio uh this is by the very notable Gianfranco rossi the documentarian uh whose father was also a very notable italian film director he has a new film about the remaining the remainder of that title is the travels of pope francis so i had no interest in that remains of the day what is that about that is uh with anthony hopkins and emma thompson i've actually never seen that film uh, based on a very notable uh, novel that I've, you know, I've never watched it because I always wanted to read that book. Oh, why? I don't, well, what you just said made me think of that title. Oh. Uh, Kill Boxoon. Uh, this is, I think, about a female assassin. That sounds kind of interesting. Uh, it's on Netflix, uh, directed by Byung Sung Hyun. Malum. Uh, we were invited. Or Malum. Malum. Maluma. Oh. Uh, we were. It's a new horror film directed by Anthony de Blasi. We were invited to the premiere and you're like, oh no. Oh, did I? Yeah. Well, we were in Palm Springs when I gave you the invite. Oh. Uh, next is Murder Mystery 2. Well, I didn't watch Murder Mystery, the first one, and have no interest in it. Uh, it's that, this one has a different director, though. Jeremy Gerlich, who directed The Wedding Ringer. Oh. Is that the one with um, Kevin Hart? Oh, and... Um... Uh, oh gosh, the old lady who catches on fire. Cloris Leachman. Cl- the the only reason to watch. Well, I actually thought Wedding Ringer was funny because okay. you bought me the DVD. I mm-hmm. think because I liked it so much. But there's a scene where Cloris Leachman gets lit on fire that is so funny to me. But anyway, um, but yeah, the Adam Sandler and Jennifer Aniston is aren't they undercover agent? I don't know. I whatever. Space Oddity. Kira Sedgwick has directed a film, and of course her husband, Kevin Bacon, is uh, in it, and that was released. Lastly, The Unheard. I had thought you would want to watch this because we reviewed this person's last film, The Beach House. Uh, Jeffrey A. Brown has yet another film that's that came out on Shudder. I'll be unheard. I'll have to check it out. Oh, also, shout out to Scott Charouz. You made me a batch. They uh-huh. were very good. Yeah. 
They remind me of a gay coffee shop in Minneapolis called Vera's Cafe. It's uh, then yeah, Vera's no longer. Had many years ago closed. It now. was on Lindale. It was. I have a lot of fond memories of sitting there and studying. It was your French Meadow French Meadow Bakery. Uh, they're both on Lindale. No, it was next to that Greek restaurant. Like it's Greek to me. It's yes. Greek to me. Yeah. No, uh, uh, French, which I also uh, I I do need to go back to Minneapolis soon. Um. Yes, I used to go. So I I did my research for my thesis a lot. I spent many hours at Vera's, and it wasn't until a couple years after that that I realized that there was a a gay halfway house nearby, which explained a lot of who was hitting on me when I was. It's there. so funny that you shared that with me a long time ago because I also went on several dates with people uh, who were living in like that halfway house, mm-hmm. and they had very specific rules on like. Yes. when they could leave and then also they didn't have phones and and i didn't realize that until like the third person and i just thought what is happening here and I, I was like wait you live with him uh i know him um yeah. and i and none of you none of us can all go to your house okay yeah but um i'm glad they had a safe place to be okay moving on to projects of interest uh, Megan the Stallion. Oh, the Safties are making a new film with Adam Sandler, who, of course, you saw Uncut Gems. Um, Good Time is excellent as well. Uh, the, uh, apparently, Megan the Stallion is going to be. Isn't in there a Safty brother in some movie where they're in like Argentina and he? Uh, yes. He, you really like that movie. Uh, Stars at Noon. I don't like him in that movie, but I really. Yeah, I that couldn't movie. stand him in that movie. But uh, but he, I did think the premise was interesting. He's also the gay politician in Licorice Pizza, Uh-oh. which you haven't seen. I, I yeah. Have you seen pictures of Megan The Stallion recently? Uh, she is snatched. Yeah, like you follow her on Instagram. I don't. I mean, maybe it's that um, alkaline water. I don't know what she's doing. She's <laughs> she always looks good. She has always looked good, but she looks extra good. Uh, something called Hope. Uh, Na Hong Jin, South Korean filmmaker, whose first film I really liked, The Chaser. Uh, they also did The Yellow Sea, which I wasn't as crazy about. And then The Wailing got a lot of attention several years back, uh, which I quite liked. But he is doing a film with uh, one of the stars of Squid Game, Hoi Yan, who's making her screen debut with this. Uh, and also Alicia Vikander and Michael Fassbender. All right, there are a lot of movies we watched for fun. Do you think we can get through this in like 12 minutes? Why do I only have 12 minutes? Well, if we want to keep this to like an hour or so. Okay, all right, well. Um, okay, first off, Guilty as Sin. Ooh, Sydney Lumet film from uh, the early 90s with Don Johnson and Rebecca De Mornay. <gasps> oh. Yeah, we watched the, this. We, we're at the tail end of like when our family was visiting, so we watched a ton of shit. This movie was fun. Yes. First of all, Don Johnson was perfect for this role. I agree. As like a gigolo, because he's very handsome, but also very smarmy. Sinister. Sinister. And it was very frustrating watching him be so arrogant. He basically headhunts a lawyer to defend him because he wants to murder his wife, which he does. And he he snags Rebecca De Mornay, who's as the lawyer who's hot off hand the rocks the cradle and looks, you know, stunning as this, you know, for a blonde white lady, I think in the early 90s just stunning okay um she's the so like you said he ropes her into defending him for a murder which is his wife's murder and she gets him off but he's not done playing with her he wants to kill her too 
well because she tried to plant evidence she wants to lose the case she wants to she, she tries to get off the case but the judge is like no i actually really like that scene where the judge is like do you know how much taxpayers would have to pay mm-hmm. to like read redo all this shit he, the judge is like no bitch you're trying this case <laughs> but yeah she tries to lose by planning evidence it doesn't work don johnson finds out and everything culminates with like a showdown mm-hmm. where she throws him off the like she, fifth floor of a it's pretty good because the physicality of it is uh it's very careful how it's filmed which i sense. i thoroughly enjoy it. i would recommend guilty of sin don johnson is really good at it's it. a b film to be sure but uh, i really like it okay we watched cry baby uh john waters 1990 musical i didn't know this was a john waters film until you put it on um i enjoyed it oh yeah it's fun i love susan tyrell oh god <laughs> the the movie's crazy yeah it's a bunch of it's, i mean it's not bad shit but it's it's just like so it almost feels like a demented grease meets west side story yes very much but uh, Johnny Depp, who my mom loves, he he's very handsome, mm-hmm. and Tracy Lords is stunning, and oh, I yes. loved her hair in this movie. Tracy again, she's in that that same wavelength as a Rebecca De Mornay in this period to me. Tracy Lords is prettier than Rebecca De Mornay. I got to interview Tracy Lords. That's right. Last of the mobile hotshots. I have had this for years, uh, ever since I did my suddenly last summer thesis. Uh, it's also we had a Sydney Lumet double feature that day. This is nineteen sixty nine. Uh, and it's adapted from one of Tennessee Williams' later failures called The Seven Descents of Myrtle. <laughs> and uh, this film I didn't think was very good. Uh, and of course, like a lot of Williams old uh, plays as an older person, including The Milk Train Doesn't Stop Here Anymore, which became Boom. The Milk Train Doesn't Stop Here Anymore? <laughs> yes, um, which became the movie Boom with Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton, which I know you love. Boom. Speaking of John Waters, who famously Boom. called that failed art. Uh, he called Boom failed art? Yeah. Uh, oh, interesting. Directed by Joseph Losey. Uh, but Last of the Mobile Hot Shots is a kind of a lot of fun, but also a mess, because Lynn Redgrave is playing the Southern Belle, who I can barely stand half, I can barely understand half the dialogue because she's screeching this high-pitched thing. Looks like Eddie Izzard drag queen makeup. Uh <laughs> Anyways, is on a, some television show where she wins a bunch of a bunch of appliances and can either get tickets to Hollywood or pick a man from the audience to marry. And she picks James Coburn, who's dying of some lung disease, and he takes her to this drown. He has inherited this property, maybe from a dead mother uh, that's out somewhere in the boonies and in dilapidated repair. And there's a, there's a never ending rainstorm going on. And there his half brother played by Robert hooks, who is black, uh, who has actually inherited the property. He's trying to wrestle it away from. So it's basically as the ti- the original title suggests, it's her running up and down the stairs between these two men, Robert hooks, who I like in the film trouble man, which is a pretty good black exploitation film. I, I, Cause I'd never read this play. His character is supposed to be white passing. Oh. And Robert Hooks is not white passing. Uh, but so Gore Vidal adapted the screenplay. So there are so many laughable moments, especially towards the end, where he's asking Lynn Redgrave, who he has sex with, to be like, you don't believe what they say that I got black blood in me. <laughs> like, sir, you uh, are what? a whole ass black man. Okay. This is embarrassing. This is a good, it was a great example of how if they want to use Robert Hooks in the casting, they needed to rewrite that script to fit him. 
Moving on. Bandolero. Bandolero. Uh, going through my Raquel Welch uh, craze still, uh, where Jimmy Stewart and Dean Martin are brothers. I don't usually like Jimmy Stewart, but I quite liked him in this, actually. And I was the only one that stayed up through all of this that night and the only one that I think liked it. I thought this shit was boring. Oh, my God. As I, hell. I loved it. Andrew V. McLaughlin. I think Raquel looks great. Uh, her Mexican accent, of course, is iffy, is at, terrible. iffy at best. Uh, but I did like it. Uh, I shouldn't say it's boring as hell. It was dry, though. I See, I didn't think so. I was totally on this wavelength that night. The main plot point is that Jimmy Stewart is the brother of Dean Martin. Dean Martin and Dean Martin and his gang are a bandit like a uh, bank robbers, and they get hemmed up in some little town, and they're about to be hung, like as exec- like execution. And Jimmy Stewart has a bright idea to find the hangman, kill him, and then pretend to be him. So when he goes to do the hanging, he can like. Um, orchestrate an escape which is successful so they escape but now the town people are looking for them and then you have Raquel Welch who's like this rich Mexican woman who's inherited money who's inherited a bunch of money from her dead husband and Jimmy Stewart and Dean Martin's gang kidnap her it's just it's not as fun as I think it should have been I don't know it just my dad kept complaining about the score, but uh, I, and the score. Yeah, I I wouldn't recommend this unless oh, you really want to see these people. But I liked it, and seeing an older Jimmy Stewart's kind of interesting. I thought he was kind of fun. Okay, you watched Drunks? Uh, yes, uh, Peter Cohn's debut. I don't think he's done too much else after this. It was a Sundance film in 1995. Great cast though, uh, with Richard Lewis as this man who's falling off the wagon, uh, but. It's the rest of it is our confessionals from a bunch of people at an AA meeting, including Parker Posey and Faye Dunaway and the great Spalding Gray, who I guess I didn't realize killed himself in 2004. Uh, but yeah, it, it's pretty sad and pretty interesting to see like all of these bright young people, Sam Rockwell, Calista Flockhart, like the cast is pretty damn good. And I'd seen it years ago because I had a Faye Dunaway craze in high school. Okay, we rewatched the baby because <laughs> my parent, my dad, had never seen it. The and- best part—I mean, I really enjoyed this movie, but wa- watching it with your dad and hearing him like he was just like, "What the?" F-? was a fun experience. Yes, it's I- basically who's the lady who looks like Joan Crawford? Ruth Roman. Oh, she's so good. She's so goddamn good. She is so good in this movie, The Baby, directed by Ted Post. And it's what year is it? Oh, what seventy-three? If if I don't know where someone would have, because you own the DVD. Uh, Arrow Video put out a night. You know, back in the day, this was unavailable, and the VHS copy was very expensive. But This is a fun movie to watch with a group of people, but there's this woman, uh, the Joan Crawford lookalike, and her two adult daughters living in this home, and they have a baby. And so a social worker comes and says, I want to meet your baby. Like, I'm the new caseworker, blah, blah, blah. And then we meet the baby, and the baby is a whole ass adult man. Mm-hmm. He looks like he's in his what mid twenties. Yes, but he acts like a goo goo gaga baby. And it's made clear that the social worker believes this family has kept him infantile to collect like disability checks. Yes, because they basically live off that. Because somehow these three women live a kind of a lavish lifestyle off one disability check. And it looks like they're in LA, maybe. I think they're in LA. <laughs> well, because the one sister who has some of the craziest hair out of the howling does commercials. 
the one sister, yeah. The, I mean, they're both a lot of fun, but the one with the crazy hair gives like the best crazy eyes. Yes, oh, she, it's so good. She looks like she escaped from Charlie Manson's crew, but yeah. Yeah, but there's a gag. I, I, I won't ruin it because we're running out of time, but there's a gag as to why the social worker really wanted to be the caseworker. That is pretty insane. Yes, <laughs> it's... Go watch the baby. Okay, we watched something called Spoonful of Sugar because a podcast I listened to, um, this film was talked about. So we put it on. This shit was crazy. It was dull. And not in a good way. It was dull. I don't even... Uh, I should just read what it's about. Uh, Millicent is taking a semester off from her studies to take care of Johnny, a sickly mute child with severe allergies. His mother, Rebecca, is an author and his father, Jacob, is a carpenter. That's a terrible synopsis, but I almost feel like I don't know how else you would describe it because sure. it's just so random. Uh, the main character, Millicent, that actor, I think she's fine, but oh, there's just so much about it that didn't make sense to me. Uh, it's a horror film. It looks fine. I just, the the, the story, there's no tension. Uh, the, there's no horror. Uh, the man playing the carpenter who, while very good looking, cannot act. No, and yeah, like he's, I mean, if you like good looking men, he, but then the other thing too is like, there's a lot of sexuality in the movie, but no nudity, nothing's particularly sexy or erotic or disturbing. Well, it also seems like they aren't really, like this, this, this husband is, is screwing this babysitter and you're just everywhere on the front lawn and the kitchen. And Ugh, it just felt like. I mean, the way it's edited and like the the vibe of it to me is like it was a movie that was edited for TV. Yeah, like and... to, to water it down. I don't know. I didn't like it. You watched something called Night on Earth. Yes, uh, nineteen ninety one Jim Jarmusch film uh, that's set in five different cities, uh, each involving a taxi driver and their fare for the evening, with the really uh, astounding cast. Ooh. Permanent vacation. That was Jim Jarmusch's. Uh, Jim Jarmusch. Jim Jarmusch, his 1980 debut, which is about a, a young man named Aloysius who's <laughs> wandering around uh, New York. And that's basically it, his first film, which I'd never seen. You watched Josie and the Pussycats for the first time? Yeah. Oh How was God. it? I This movie's not for me. Oh. Uh, but also, I was highly entertained at the early 2000s styles. And, you know, Alan Cumming and Parker Posey are just gifts. From the heavens. In this. From the heavens. Uh, I highly enjoyed both of them as the villains. Uh, but it's super stupid. Basically about capitalism, product placement. Uh, it's like the teeny bopper girl version of John Carpenter's They Live. But You watched A Matter of Life and Death? Yes, a Powell and Pressburger film, which I've been aware of for some time, but had never seen. Uh, it, it's on that same wavelength of Albert Brooks' uh, Defending Your Life, if you remember that film. But it's about this British fighter pilot who's about to die in, in 1945, World War II. And this American uh, radio, the, the the woman on the radio and the, and the Air Force base kind of catches his last words and they exchange tendernesses. Uh, but he doesn't die. And his co-pilot is in what ostensibly is heaven waiting for his spirit to arrive. But a mistake was made uh, by who is manning the controls. And David, David Niven is this pilot who's allowed to live. 
and he ends up meeting Kim Hunter, the American girl. And before Marius Goring can come down from heaven and kind of fetch his ass, he's he's like, you can't take me now because of your mistake. I've fallen in love. And so then he has to go to this trial in heaven, basically, and defend why he should be still be allowed to live. Mm. Something called Broken Flowers. Jim Jarmusch's greatest hit. Jim Jarmusch. Which I remember seeing at in 2005 at the Uptown Theater with a loading up a bunch in of Minneapolis in my, in my Mazda and driving to this. Your gold Mazda 626. With the oscillating. With the oscillating vents. Uh, yeah, you know, I probably, it, it's fine. Uh, this was a big hit for Jarmusch, who won, I think, the Grand Jury Prize of Cannes this year. But it's basically Bill Murray as this aging Lothario Don Johnson, who's literally Don Juan, who's named Don Johnston. Uh, who thinks he might have a 19-year-old son suddenly and goes and visits four of his exes, each played by exquisitely beautiful women that look too good for Bill Murray. Oh, that's the movie. Uh-huh. Ch- I'm so tired of these, like, uh, Bill Murray. Because it's, it's, his character is not rich, is he? He made some money in computers. He's oh, off. so he is. But I mean, shows, Julie Delpy is literally walking out the door as he gets this letter and then, oh, and speaking of which, the woman who played the detective in Swarm is Jeffrey Wright's wife in Broken Flowers. Oh, nice. Uh, Lastly, we watched a film called Deadstream, a 2022 Shutter original. This was also something I came upon um, via a podcast I listened to, and they were very, they were praising this film. Um, I'll just read the basic synopsis. A disgraced internet personality attempts to win back his followers by live streaming one night alone in a haunted house. But when he accidentally pisses off a vengeful spirit, his big comeback event becomes a real-time fight for his life. It's a horror comedy film. It reminded me kind of of that one we watched with the kid from Stranger Things, I think, where he's like an Uber driver. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, It starts with an S. What was that called? Yeah. Sprint? No. Sprint? Spruce? Spruce? Whatever. That one was more effective. But um, if I broke Deadstream up into three acts, I think the first and third act are tolerable. But the middle act is just because this internet, disgraced internet celebrity played by Joseph Winter, who's also the writer-director along with his wife, mm-hmm. he's grating as hell. But he's supposed to be. He's supposed to be, yeah. But it gets a little long in the tooth halfway through. But I'm very impressed because I'm assuming this movie cost nothing to make and that they just use their own um, knowledge to edit and do the special effects. It, there's a lot of creativity in it and the practical effects of because there's there are ghosts in this haunted house. Some of them are pretty good. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but again, it just gets a little long in the tooth. Mm-hmm. Uh, the movie you're trying to reference with Joe Keery was Spree, by the way. Oh, if if people like Deadstream, I would recommend watching Spree. I thought that was more effective. Um, and then you skipped over something else I watched oh, called oh. Doctor's Wives. Oh, yeah. Uh, directed by George Schaefer, which is bit, it's trash, utter trash, but has a great cast. Uh, early, is it early 70s? Um, yeah, the 71, I think the same year. Gene Hackman, who stars, did French Connection. But also uh, Richard Crenna, Diane Cannon, who you think is the star but dies right away. And the real reason I wanted to watch is Diana Sands is in it. Mm. Um, as this nurse with an ailing child and sleeping with uh, 
Richard Crenna. Oh, and Janice Rule, who I think looks quite good in it. But it's basically Valley of the Dolls for, as the title says, a bunch of doctor's wives who are all viciously unhappy. And Diane Cannon is this little slut that walks around saying that I'm going to do an experiment and sleep with all your men and then give you notes about oh, them. Yeah, you and I've already slept that. with half of them. Ha ha ha. And then, of course, her husband kills her while she's in bed with one of their husbands. And... <laughs> Oh my God, it's so stupid. You wouldn't recommend it. I wouldn't, but if you like any of those people, but it's just like tawdry and sleazy and stupid. Mm, like me. Well, let's take a break. Hardly. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Unfortunately, there is an entry in the obituary section. Howell Wayans passed away. He's the patriarch of the Wayans family. He was 86 years old. Their mother uh, died in 2020, I believe, at the age of 81. But uh, I'm sure they were both very proud of Yeah, very funny family. I was watching an old clip of Marlon, Damon, Keenan, and Kim on the Oprah Winfrey show. And they're just so funny together. And Living Color is like, there will never be anything as funny to me as in Living Color. And it just, it, I wish that somehow they could come back and do something like as a family, like yeah. like maybe have a sitcom based on their lives. Well, I don't know how that would work because they're all older, but I would love to see a show with all of them in it. I suppose I'm surprised something like Netflix hasn't offered that. Well, there was a, I think, an attempted reboot of Unliving Color, but the problem is, I don't know, today's climate, I just, being edgy like that, I just don't know how that would work. And it seems like the output that we get from Sean and Marlon, oh, I forgot to mention Sean was on the Oprah interview. You know, they do like that silly parody shit, mm-hmm. which is still enjoyable enough. Because what's the one with the haunted a haunted house where he has sex with that doll, yeah, Marlon? <laughs> that's a good one. That, yeah. But anyway, moving on to our secret movie. So since I uh, shamed Nick saying that he never chooses films people recommend, he decided to choose a film someone recommended over a year ago. I tried to figure out who recommended this movie. So if you're the person who recommended the 1984 American erotic drama film Thief of Hearts. Please let us know, because I need to know why you recommended this movie. I'm assuming it might have been because... I think because of the music. Because, because of the I'm music. I'm a Giorgio Moroder fan. Because you always talk about Giorgio Moroder. And, but I will say, I think there's a lot of interesting things about this movie. <laughs> yes. I, I, I think that at its core, there's something very interesting. Uh, but it's cheesy. So it's directed by Douglas Day Stewart, who's better known as a writer, I think. He had just been Oscar nominated for writing An Officer and a Gentleman, which I've never seen. Let me read the synopsis. If you met Ray and Mickey Davis, you'd swear they had a perfect marriage. But if you read Mickey's diary, you know that unrest is lurking just beneath the surface. Okay, first of all, the minute I met Ray and Mickey Davis, I did not think they were the perfect couple. Oh, no. <laughs> because... Ray is, um, he's like a very super successful business person. 
and or does he write children's books or yes yeah he's very successful and not very attractive compared to his wife mickey who is clearly like a trophy wife and her interests are to become like an interior design like have an interior design firm a maven and clearly her husband doesn't take her seriously like the very opening scene is him going oh you're doing that well how much is that gonna cost me right so i think that's interesting that no one thinks they have the perfect marriage but there is um a very attractive man played by scott muller scott muller's the character stephen bauer is that oh, i'm sorry stephen bauer he and david caruso are crooks so dave so their racket is that david caruso <sighs> works as like a valet attendant and he basically like scopes out these regulars who come in and then when he knows that like a regular has come in for dinner they go break into these people's homes so we see that um steven and david have broken into ray and mickey's house and stolen like a hundred thousand dollars worth of stuff including mickey's diary and in her diary, diaries her diarrhea and we find out that basically <laughs> mickey has an alter ego named michelle and she lives out michelle's life in this diary so basically she feels like her life as mickey is boring because she's married to this rich guy who doesn't take her seriously and there's no fun and and michelle wants to live free and be erotic and sexy and wild like sasha fierce so steven his character reads the diary and becomes fixated on mickey Mickey like Davis. to the point where he can't even perform with other women. Like he just wants to be like, he's all about Mickey. He's pansexual. So the best part of the movie to me is how creepy it was that this guy who read this woman's like intimate diary entries then pursues her. And he like runs into her at a grocery store, takes her for coffee, te like tells her all these very detailed things about her life that like, how would anyone know? But the way he explains it is so clever. So I think the writer, uh, director douglas mm -hmm. Dave stewart i think that's where we see his strength as a writer yeah and how he navigates this character who's manipulating this woman that's all very smart but the husband played by john, john Getz, and his like friend slash associate played by george went they're the worst part of oh them. yeah they're just so like oh it just feels like every time they're on screen it like we lose momentum because i think even besides steven that actor being very handsome i felt like he did a good job with he does a fine job but i think there's something innate missing in this characterization because there's no menace and he's also it seems to be a little too good looking to be so wrapped up in the devious things he's doing well, and then David Caruso looks crazy. David Caruso looks, I said he looks like he's in a Bronski beat music video. Here, let me go through my notes. So the so the music, the opening uh, with the opening song, my first note is I love the 80s. I love the 80s so much. I love everything about the 80s except HIV and AIDS, but uh, I love the um, 80s. Economics. <laughs> um, but also the score is intense it's a little too intense but there's i do like the mickey muller mickey and scott theme that plays pretty incessantly throughout yeah okay david caruso like you said he looks 
Oh, the, the, the hair. If, if this were an, if this film were a 2023 release, he would definitely be on my worst hair of the year list because he has like one of those Jimmy Ray rockabilly like pompadours, but then the back is sort of like brushed in like a duck's ass. And then he has like, it's buzzed kind of like a faux hawk. And then he has like artwork, like like lines looks, cut he looks, in. He looks like he's doing a production of West Side Story at night. Yes. And then he's wearing the tightest pants and he just his character is very like uh very aggressive and aggressive his name is buddy calamara uh but he has one line early on about because he hires a prostitute for his buddy stephen bauer i think that's what i just wrote down go ahead uh she gives head like an iguana yeah he's he goes you would have loved that girl she gives head like an iguana that does not sound appetizing don't they, they have that big wooden uh donatella versace looking tongue i don't know that i want but anyway like an iguana because it's slow because uh, their tails detach so but... the actor playing mickey i liked her well enough barbara williams yeah she was reminding me of several many people too including troy Sivan. The lady from Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Kim something. Who looks like Meryl Streep. Sure. Which is funny because I don't think this actor looks like Meryl Streep, but I think she looks like the actor who looks like Meryl Streep. Sure. <laughs> um, but I was thinking, you know who would have been perfect for this role? Because of the diary narration? Who? Can you guess? No. Madonna. Oh, God. I think Madonna would have been perfect. Perfect. Because... I brought up Madonna while we were watching that because when um, Mickey's writing in her new diary in the tub, because she's talking about water. Yeah. like That reminded me of some dumb shit Madonna would say. But she's like... I love Rose. When I, when I think of roses, I think of love. From the waters of Mount Kinkikatini. And, and this rose water is from the mountains of Mount Kinkikatini. I can't live in a world without roses. I can't live. I loathe hydrangeas. Girl, <laughs> you need to stop right now. Uh, but... Mickey's has a lot and in very painful we have to watch her write these sentences out mm -hmm. we're hanging on every word to have her say I can feel him turning each page tell me you can't hear Madonna yes I can say, yeah I, I mean yes okay uh what God. but she also reminded me probably style wise of like a Jennifer Gray or Holly Hunter Jennifer Gray oh yeah yeah um the actor Stephen what what's his name again? I just lost my page. Stephen Bauer. Yeah, he he's very handsome, but he reminded me of if you mix Zach Galligan from uh -huh. Gremlins with that '90s male supermodel Marcus Schenkenberg. Sure. I also thought of Jeff Conway, Kanicki from Greece, and yes, uh, I think if you really look at it, like a very young Jim Carrey, he reminded me of too. You said that, and I was struggling. Um, uh, well, not Jim Carrey now or in the '90s, no, no. like like Peggy Sue Got Married era. So, Steven is seducing Mickey, and it's working. Doing a great job of it. Because yeah. he's telling her, like, because he knows all, like, everything about her. So, he's like, oh, it's so great that I bumped into you because I'm in need of an interior designer. I want to redo my, my apartment. And so, he's like, well, meet me for a business meeting, in, at, like, at the pier where the boats are. So she, so she takes her ass down to the pier and he's on the boat and she's like, well, I thought we were having a business meeting. And he's like, there's no business to discuss. You're hired. And he gives her a check for 10 G's and says, my budget's a hundred thousand. And she's like, yeah, I'll take it. 
So then they take this boat trip. And I thought it was funny because first of all, she goes, I thought we were having a business meeting at the pier. Like what, yeah. why would you be having a business meeting at the pier? But she's wearing her sensible like skirt set, mm -hmm. like looking very business professional. And he's wearing these linen pants and he takes his shirt off and is rubbing oil on himself uh -huh. seductively. That was laughable. There was a lot that's laughable, including her interior design skills. But I really didn't like the characterization of the husband and the friend because Ray is such a dick. His associate tells him, like, dude, you're the most self-absorbed person I've ever known. I wouldn't want to live with you. So why do you think your wife hates you? And then he gets mad, like, well, I can replace you. I wish. Yeah, I, I think that's where the writing really suffers is that the husband is almost like a, a like a caricature of a like a controlling shitty absent husband, husband. absent husband. Uh, and also he's he's on this typewriter all day long. What kind of children don't read like children don't need that many words. <laughs> children don't need that many words. Like, what are you who, doing? Where who's doing your illustrations? But he is attached to this goddamn typewriter. It reminded me of um, there's this movie I just saw that was terrible about Ingeborg Bachman. Margareta von Trotta, and one of the things in it is Vicky Creeps as Ingeborg is married to uh, Max Frisch, who compares his typewriting to having to listen to a Kalishnikov all day. And that's kind of what it felt like because every time she's in the house, you should just hear the tap, 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 tap. So I know for the review of our, we, we did a podcast for the movie Woo. Is that yes. correct? I know I mentioned like that, you know, you've never seen a scene with a chicken hoe. Because uh -huh. there's a sex scene between Dave Chappelle and Paula J. Parker, Paula J. Parker, where she's wearing like a big for Big Bird outfit. Uh, well, this movie, you have never seen an erotic scene in a shooting range. <laughs> there's a scene where those two go to a shooting range, and Stephen is teaching Mickey how to shoot a gun, and it turns into sex, which then miraculously transfers to the bedroom. Yes, they we cut out something there, we, it, and I was nervous because I was like, put the gun down. But I read that that the DVD was edited, like that that scene in particular was edited. So if that's the version we watched, it makes sense that it was edited because, yeah, I don't know how they went from like having sex in the shooting range to all of a sudden we, th we see them naked in a bed in his apartment. <laughs> I mean, you've been to a shooting range. There are usually a lot of other kind of, you know, crusty men. And there. it's loud. Yeah. The shooting range is very tense. Yes. So I can't imagine being turned on and, and he's unhooking her bra while she's unload like Un unloading that clip yeah i saw that the budget for this movie was eight million dollars sure where'd all the money go well the producers this was the same year they did beverly hills cop which i think was the top money maker that year my final note is so mickey does redo steven's apartment oh boy that shit is so ugly it is it's just primary colors and geometric shapes <laughs> it's very 80s but it's like this this can't be it. And then we Not her, this. We see her doing a mock-up for something else. And she's using the same And colors. then we see her, yeah, doing a render for, I guess, another project. Yeah. And it's literally the same blue and red rectangles and, and yellow, triangles. Like, oh. <laughs> it's so ugly. I don't think her career as an interior designer is going to go anywhere. And then we forgot to mention Christine Ebersol is her friends. Who we're told is like the horniest person she's oh, ever yes. met. Ugh. And of course, is cheering her uh, her friend into happily into adultery. There's nothing sexy about any. There, there's nothing erotic about this movie. She's like, come on, do it. And that was a, that's a missed opportunity for tension too, because she could have been the friend who's like Julianne Moore to Annabella Sciorra in *The Hand That Rocks the Cradle*, right? But but to wrap this up, uh, the the plot: Ray, the husband, senses that his wife is having an affair with this new client of hers, so he follows him. 
and follows him to his warehouse and he sees that all of his stolen artwork is in there so then he realizes oh my gosh this guy's a fraud so he runs back home but at that same time Stephen knows that the husband knows so he goes to see mickey to convince her to run away with him but there's a final showdown where david caruso gets killed and they don't realize that steven's in the house but she goes to see him and she has an opportunity to like catch him like but she lets him go mm-hmm. so presuming that she probably does have feelings for him so she doesn't want to well they were him. having a lot of sex very unsexy i mean i just didn't feel any connection except that this is a woman who's lonely and deprived well, I, I think that their first sex scene is interesting because you can tell she's kind of clocked out and she's mm-hmm. having second thoughts and he tries to reassure her like you can let go with me you can let right and i think there's some interest there because there's something interesting there because we usually don't see kind of how both of these people seem to need a more emotional connection um to have sex which i found interesting this movie would have been so much better if they just would have focused on you know how it should have started there's a meet cute and the guy seems too good to be true He's so good looking. He's saying all the right things. He's he, like, he knows exactly who this woman is. And maybe for the first act, we just see them sort of develop in this impossibly perfect way. And then we learn that he got a hold of her diary. And that's how he knows so much about her. And then it all unfolds like, well, how the hell did he get the diary? And then it becomes sort of like, it turns into like a menacing thing. I. I don't know if there's a movie out there like that, but I like that story. And well, we also, you know, we know somebody who, uh, we we know of a per, a, a woman who was dating somebody, and then he told his best friend all the intimate details about them. <gasps> That's right. And, and then she left boy guy number one for guy number two, who knew all these details about her. Yeah. So we know a lady whose boy boyfriend had a best friend, and he told his best friend all the intimate details about his girlfriend so when they broke up he pushed up on her and he knew exactly what to do she what she like and she fell so i think that is i mean again i think the writing is very strong in this movie when it relates to that idea of like someone manipulating someone with information that they don't know they have that's very creepy well because then it and then it doesn't explore like what is it that what what nancy myers what women want do they want somebody that knows all the things that they couldn't possibly know about them ahead of time. Yeah, it's very superficial. It's yeah. just like, oh, she fell in love with someone who knew her favorite ice cream and knew right and and knew that she wants to have sex, like because he goes out like there's like a sexual position he tries that it's made clear that maybe she wrote about that spread eagle, spread eagle on the chimney sweep. <laughs> no, it was actually something very basic. It that's was. like, oh, that, like that's all you wanted. It's... You want you you wanted to sit on the D. Yeah, like I mean, okay. wow, okay. I feel like you could have just done Reverse that. Reverse cowgirl. But anyway, what would you give this movie? Um, it, I liked how it looked, though. Uh, Andrew Laszlo shot it, who worked quite a few times with Walter Hill, the great Walter Hill, including that same year with a favorite of mine, Streets of Fire. Uh, Laszlo also shot Poltergeist 2, The Other Side, and the first Rambo movie, First Blood, uh, as well as Ghost Dad for Sidney Poitier, which I've still never seen. Anyway, I would give it two out of five. Or did I give it two and a half? I have to. 
I think I would give it two, I give it two. I would give it two out of five just because I didn't enjoy watching it. So I can't even say that it was okay. Sure. Um, but there are some interesting things about it. And, you know, if seeing a handsome man is enough to get you to watch a movie, then I guess this would do Oh, it. we looked him up too, Stephen Bauer. Well, what did we learn? I learned, well, in 2014, when he was 57, he was dating an 18-year-old. Did you tell me that? I did. You were already in the early stages of unconsciousness, but yeah. You know, I had quite a bit to drink by that point, and then you gave me an edible. Uh-huh. I didn't ask for it. Okay. Trying to make anyway. You, trying to make you malleable, but all right. He was married to Melanie Griffith? Oh, when? 1981 to 1989. He was married to her for eight years. That's between Don Johnson's? <laughs> so he was married to four women. I didn't see that he was married four times. I didn't realize. He's been married and divorced four times. Melanie he has two children. Time. He's Cuban. He's from Cuba. You said that he was dating an 18-year-old? Oh, in 2014. Wow, just like it was one of the first things that popped up about him. But Melanie, huh? Yeah, because Dakota was born when she got back with Don Johnson. Wow, I think Dakota was born when he was making the hot spot. Anyway, so yeah. Melanie has a type. She likes handsome men. Oh God. Well, well Antonio. Antonio's handsome. Yeah. Yeah, and Don Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. What? Uh, what do we have going on? Oh, I get to see Bo is Afraid today. You get to see Bo is Afraid. Uh, and then we're seeing a couple other things, and then I head to New York. I'm seeing Renfield and... Renfield's next week. Oh, so what am I seeing this week? Uh, Carmen and something else, I forget. And then we have a review for Paint that's dropping on Thursday, I think. Uh-huh. And you have to, we have to watch that other Lionsgate film. Which one, is what? One Day is a Lion or something. Oh, you keep saying that. I don't know what that's about. Well, you... Okay. Anything else you'd like to say? No. Ta-ta.